As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller. Thanks for your patience. If you're watching us live on this Sunday morning, I have a temperamental laptop. I am in the Athletics Studio B, as I call it, for the fantasy team. And uh, things are seemingly working fine now. So again, thanks for your patience. Michael Beller here alongside with me, as is the case most Sundays. How's it going for you on this Sunday, Beller? It's going good, DVR. Uh, skies have cleared here in Chicago after a few rainy days. I'm looking forward to uh, a pretty good crop of, of really uh, across the board what we look at. We talk about hitters, we talk about pitchers, we talk about streamers, we talk about relievers, and we've got guys who can fill pretty much every single need for the week ahead. So it's uh, not always the case, especially at this point of the season. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, pretty good balance on the wire. I mean, not a lot of standouts in most cases. We will discuss the uh, rare scenario if you have Wander Franco available on your wire as you're <laughs> thinking about fab bids on Sunday night. You know, what are you going to do in that situation? We're not going to lead with that because that only applies to a very small number of people. But I think there is one really good player, one player that we once thought was going to be very good, <laughs> who's widely available, and that's Keston Hira. And it's been a frustrating season for him and for those who drafted him, to say the least. Daniel Vogelbach's injury is going to keep him out probably until after the All-Star break. So the Brewers really need Hira to come back up from AAA and do some damage from that first base spot. Is there any reason to think things will be different this time around? When I was looking at the numbers at AAA, his second stint at Nashville was somewhat encouraging. He had the K rate down closer to 25%. You're still assuming you're going to strike out more against big league pitching than you were against AAA pitching, so that probably puts him back in the low 30s. But even the low 30s would be an improvement compared to where Hero was earlier this season with the Brewers. Yeah, I just can't get on board with this one. We've just seen it too much from him now uh, with the strikeouts <clears throat> excuse me, being such a major issue that I need him to prove to me that it's not going to be an issue before I'm going to be the person who buys in. I did buy in. I was the person in one of my leagues who bought in 
uh, after the first demotion and re-promotion, and we know how that went and why he got sent back down to the AAA level. So I know that we're all tantalized by the talent when things go right, and we are still reaching back to memories of 2019 when it looked like he was going to be one of the next big stars in Major League Baseball. But until we see him prove that he can make contact at a more consistent rate at the Major League level, I just can't be in on him. I think I can trust them in at least 15 team leagues just because the playing time should be there. The Brewers really lack alternatives. I mean, they're going to be digging into Jace Peterson for more playing time if Hira doesn't hit. I think this is a window for him between now and that July 30th trade deadline to show the Brewers he can, in fact, at least hold his own and be a bottom half of the lineup hitter. Maybe he's not the middle of the order run producer they thought they had two years ago, but if he's at least credible as a power threat and taking better plate appearances than he did earlier this season, that might be enough for them to upgrade somewhere else in that lineup. So I'm in a 15-teamer, in a 12-teamer, maybe as a min-bid sort of guy. I think 4 to 5% might be enough to get him, which is just wild because Hero was easily a 15 to $20 player in mixed league auctions mm-hmm. back during the spring and a pretty consistent top 75, top 80 sort of pick in terms of his ADP in most drafts. Uh, but I think just in terms of ceiling, he brings quite a bit more than a lot of the other hitters we're talking about because the playing time floor could be so stable. Uh, two outfielders that I brought up on Fantasy Baseball in 15 at the end of the week. Steven Duggar is the first. I think he's pretty interesting because he's really just hitting better than he's ever hit as a big league player before. Uh, he had the major injury a couple of years ago that derailed him, kept him from taking on a prominent role with the Giants. He's basically the starting center fielder uh, on the big side of a platoon. Yeah. The barrel rate looks good. The underlying stat cast numbers in terms of his speed and defense actually look pretty good as well. Uh, and he, he's really, if he's only going to sit against lefties, you got to look at the schedule week to week. He's got five of his six games against righties this week. So, in what types of leagues are you interested in Duggar where he's still available? 15 team mixers, I'm, I'm definitely considering him. And I think the point you make about his defense is very important here. This Giants team, like, you say what you want about them, say what you want about looking at that on, them on paper. They've done what they've done for now three full months. And so they're not going away. Like, we have to take them as a legitimate contending team and they've got plenty of offense I know we're talking about Steven Duggar from an offensive perspective in the fantasy world but they've got a lot of offense in the in the top half of their order it shows you uh, the fact that Duggar's hitting in the bottom third of their order whenever he's in there this is all to say that his defense is very valuable for this team and so the playing time is unquestionably going to be there the only time you're going to see him sit is against lefties. So you add in the fact that he is starting to become something of the hitter that it looked like he could have been a couple of years ago before that injury you referenced. You mentioned the playing time. He's not going to get subbed out late in games where he is starting. All this adds up to a guy who becomes pretty easily useful on volume and RBI upside hitting in that lineup uh, in 15-team leagues. So that's really where I'm looking at him. I don't know if I'd go much shallower than that, but 15-teamer is definitely someone of interest. I think it's also worth pointing out, too, it's an above-average Giants offense. Going back yeah. to last season, you know, we, I think, had a lot of doubts about them coming out of 2020, but they've backed that up in a big way through the first half of 2021. Uh, but the other player who has a, a similar role, and I think going into the weekend, I thought I preferred Duggar to this guy. It's Akil Badu. But the more I look at Badu, he has really done a great job in the last three to four weeks of cutting down the K rate, only 10 strikeouts and 62 plate appearances in June. This is a guy that made the leap from high A to the big leagues with an injury at the end of his time in high A, no minor league season in 2020, 
really just an impressive development story. And it just seems like the Tigers, as we said, maybe two or three weeks ago, are beginning to commit to their younger players, mm-hmm. giving those guys more run. It is really more of a large side platoon role. Uh, how does Badu stack up to Duggar for you in leagues where both of those guys are available? Agree with you that I would rather have Badu than Duggar. I just think there's a little bit more ceiling here. Uh, there's maybe even a little bit more playing time safety in that the Tigers are going to be making trades. The Tigers are going to be offloading some of their attractive veterans over this next month leading up to the trade deadline. And so I think we could be going from a situation where Badu is a large side platoon guy to an everyday guy. And I think you said this on a show that you and I did earlier this week, uh, 23 years old, clearly you have an idea that maybe he's part of your next good contending team. Why not find out how he can do with a consistent role against lefties in the second half of the season? It would be foolish not to find out what Akil Badu can do if he gets consistent starts against left-handed pitching. It would just be a very short-sighted move for this Tigers franchise. So I do think we're talking about someone who eventually come July 15th or August 1st, whatever the case might be when the Tigers are making their moves, does become an everyday player. And so that puts him over the top for me with Duggar. But I still am interested in both these guys in 15-teamers. Yeah, I think they both can help you in just about every category. I think Badu might have an edge in batting average, believe it or not, as the season plays on too, which is something I wouldn't have expected to say back in April just because we were talking about a guy making that massive multi-level leap and really just, I I thought he was going to be a little overexposed. He's proven me wrong to this point, and I'm happy to be wrong about it because it's an absolutely great story to this point. Uh, I would say Duggar and Badu in leagues where they're available, they're a notch behind Hira for me. Obviously, they play different positions, but we're thinking more like 2 to 3% in a 15-team league for those two outfielders, and I think we're both in agreement. Badu slightly ahead of Duggar if you have your choice of the two. Uh, Some other bats that are out there, Michael Chavis is playing a lot more right now for the Red Sox because Christian Arroyo has been placed on the IL. And Chavis might be a little bit interesting to me even beyond this Arroyo injury because Bobby Dalbeck still has not found his stride this season. I think if Chavis hits enough, there's a chance that maybe he picks up a little extra playing time at first base once Christian Arroyo is healthy again. Mm Uh, Beyond that, though, too, you look at what Chavis has done to this point in his career, it's pretty steady power. A 242-300-422 line is nothing to get that excited about, but 24 homers and 586 big league plate appearances. He's struck out in about a third of his plate appearances thus far. Those were his first 586 plate appearances, though. There's reason to believe he might still get a little bit better. Uh, Where are you at right now with Michael Chavis, especially with four lefties on the schedule in a seven-game week for the Red Sox? Yeah, he's the guy who I would actually go after rather than Keston Hira, and I know that feels silly because they have a lot of the same issues, but we just, you know, we've been burned by Hira in ways that we haven't been burned by uh, by, uh, by Michael Chavis, and, you know, I think that maybe there's something in that there, maybe there's something emotional tied to wanting to lean on Chavis, even though he has some of the same fleas that Keston Hira does, but... I just think that you you know exactly, like, the, the power is going to be there, as you said. And so when you're looking at, for me, when you're looking at guys of this nature, guys who are, you know, going to be low-level contributors, contributors, but still low-level guys on your team, I just want to know that the reason I'm picking you up, you are going to be able to deliver. And I feel pretty comfortable that Michael Chavis is going to give me the power that I seek in going after him. Still a low bid. I'm still probably not going much more than 2 2.5% for him, but I think he's now part of that discussion in 15-teamers, especially with the boost in playing time that we're expecting for the reasons that you mentioned. 
Yeah, maybe a good case, you know, I was saying 5% for Hira if you want to go out and get him. A good case to lower that bid and just make Chavis a contingency option mm-hmm. because if you miss out, they are similar in skills. Uh, I do think Hira could run a little bit more than Chavis. Sure. I don't think that's yeah. part of what the Red Sox really need or want to do, but it's a better supporting cast right now in Boston. You have a well above average lineup for the Red Sox. The Brewers continue to struggle to put runs on the board consistently, even with Christian Yelich back in that lineup. I feel like we're jumping around between infielders and outfielders, but really we're just talking about players based on the the quality and expected value. Lars Nootbaar, probably the most interesting name we've discussed literally on this podcast (laughs) all season. Honestly, I didn't know Lars Nootbaar existed. And mm-hmm. I think his playing time is going to dry up once Harrison Bader comes back because they're obviously going to play Dylan Carlson every day. Tyler O'Neill has played at a level where he is absolutely locked in his share of playing time for the foreseeable future. But Newtbar was putting up good numbers at AAA, a 329, 430, 557 line, five homers, 17 RBIs, and a 13 to 17 walk to strikeout mark in 93 plate appearances. So really doing everything you're looking for in a possible valuable bat at the big league level. Uh, is Newt Bar limited to NL only leagues for the most part, just because of Bader's pending return? Or do you think you take a chance and say that maybe the Cardinals can get creative and find some other way to solve the problem to keep his bat in the lineup if he's hitting? I think he is uh, 15 team mixed relevant as a short term fix because of the Harrison Bader impending return. I'm with you. I think that playing time really does dry up. The nice thing is that I think he's an everyday guy until Harrison Bader comes back. With all the issues this team has had offensively, both for the entire season and even more acutely recently, I do think that he plays for them every day. Probably hits in the bottom third of the order when he's in there, but the playing time is going to be there so long as Harrison Bader is out. So you do, you look at that, I think he can be a contingent off of uh, the outfielders we talked about earlier, Steven Duggar and Akil Badu. If I'm just in the market for outfielder who's going to play, I rank them Badu, Duggar, and then maybe a half step down as a contingent bid. I throw something in on Newt Bar, knowing that this isn't going to last forever because Harrison Bader's coming back and taking that spot back. And then, like you said, you can't really sit Carlson. You can't really sit O'Neal. I don't know if there's enough flexibility in the rest of the lineup to be able to find a way to get Newt Bar's bat in there. You always think you could stick a guy at first base, but obviously Paul Goldschmidt is there. So I do think that the playing time really goes away in a significant fashion. And actually wouldn't even be surprised if they sent him back down just to keep him playing every day, right? I mean, I think that would have to be something we would think about. But short-term ad, I do think he can be 15-team uh, relevant and definitely NL only for sure. Yeah, I think the Newt Bar situation right now is a little bit like the Lamont Wade situation was a week ago mm-hmm. when you know we were looking at him and saying, well, we like the player and he can move around and if he's got the time, play him. But he got sent down. Then Brendan Belt got hurt again and now Wade's back up. So yeah. Newt Bar might just need an injury to get a more <laughs> prolonged run of playing time. I would say he's a near min-bid sort of player yeah. uh, unless something happens on Sunday that significantly changes the look of that Cardinals outfield. Uh, two former prospects here as we get close to the end of our group of hitters. Shed Long playing a lot for the Mariners, getting a lot of that time in the outfield right now. He's just not doing much with it. Yeah. And I think that makes him... Pretty similar to the other guy. I'll throw his name on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. It's Bradley Zimmer, uh, if you're not. I mean, two guys that once upon a time were more highly regarded as prospects. Zimmer has been through a lot in terms of injuries. Mm -hmm. I don't think I can really get a lot of value out of either of these guys unless we're talking about AL-only formats. I mean, playing time obviously matters in every league, and the bats have been so empty from these guys that I can't trust them in most mixers. 
I'm totally with you here. And, you know, Zimmer's going to run a little bit in the rare occasions that he does get on base. So if you're really hard up for steals, I could see making a min bid on him and just throwing him in there, hoping that he'll give you three steals in a week or something like that. But I really want something else uh, out of these guys, and we're just not seeing it so far. So, yeah, AL only, sure. I'm probably, I, not probably, I, you know, I'm, I'm put, putting in my bids for my 15-team mixers uh, later today, and neither of these guys are going to be on my list. Yeah, I found them falling short, even though I saw them pop as guys that were playing a lot more than they were even just a couple of weeks ago. I hinted at this up top. There actually are some people out there who are looking at their free agent (laughs) list, and they see Wander Franco, the correct Wander Franco, the one in Tampa Bay. There are multiple Wander Francos in the player pool, so tread carefully. If you are searching, make sure you get the guy Chicago Bears Adrian Peterson all over again. Yep, we've, we've dealt with this a few times in the fantasy community. Uh, so the simple question is, what do you do if Wander is actually available in your league? I mean, we've in years past, we've seen Juan Soto come up and, and mash. We've had Jordan Alvarez come up and basically match like Mike Trout-type production as a hitter in his, his first half season. The loftiest of lofty expectations are on Wander because he is an elite prospect. But do you sink... 80% of your remaining fab, 50%, like what is your number? If Assuming you don't have an amazing offense already where you kind of fall into that, let's just keep everybody honest and throw 25 or 30% out there. Like how big are the bids for you in the handful of leagues where Wander's out there? First number that popped into my head was 80%. If you're going to make a move, you need to be realistic about what it's going to take to get him. You're going to have to be aggressive on this. I do think that when you combine the non-zero chance of him, you know, not living up to his expectations immediately, plus the fact that you do need some money around. Like even in even in a league where you are allowed $0 bids, we're still just at the end of June here. You're going to need some money around. You can't just go 100% here. So you take those together. If you still want to get them, I think 80% is fine. You leave yourself one-fifth of your remaining budget. You could get Wander with that bid. You still have some money to play with. That's where I would feel comfortable. I really wouldn't want to go much higher than that, even knowing what this guy could be for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the right sort of high-end range. You do have to consider making more moves and being a little bit competitive for them. I mean, a lot of the league has probably spent by now more than half of its budget in most cases, depending on how aggressive everybody is. But generally, that's the assumption I make once the calendar flips to July. I like to have at least 20% left for the second half of the season. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you you can manage fab in a way where you're a week ahead a lot of times on streamers, get away with some things like that. That can help save you money. But I don't think you can go all in, leave yourself with $1 players the rest of the season or anything quite like that. I think that'd be going a little bit too far. And we've talked about this a lot. You know, the prospect projections, while they're a bit more noisy than other projections, they still are a good way to sort of ground your own expectations a little bit. And an above average everyday guy is a great player to add. But if it keeps you from getting other upgrades that you need later... It might be the kind of thing where you go too far if you go more than that 80%. And 80% is a massive bid. 80% of your remaining budget, not 80% of an original budget. Like if you if you somehow had 900 out of 1,000 left, I don't think an $800 bid is necessarily appropriate. I think you still <laughs> want to leave a little bit more. Try to have 20 yeah. or 25% of your overall original budget left going into the second half of the season, if at all possible. Are you in that situation? Is Wander out there in any of your leagues, Beller? He is not. He is owned in all of my leagues, and one of them by me. I've had him sitting on my uh, Tot Wars bench all season long, so that was a very happy activation for me last week. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I um, 
I have one twelve team league where he's out there, and it's going to be utter chaos <laughs> trying to come up with the final number, the precision, yeah. because you know everybody or everybody but like one or two teams is going to mm-hmm. throw something in there. And it might come down to how you handle the tens place or probably the ones place yeah. in this case on that bid. So we'll see if we can thread the needle and add Wander uh, to that team. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Beller, I saw a question come in before we got started this morning. It's about a, a bat that we might want to stash away. This comes from Jim. And Jim wants to know, is there any reason to hold Dalton Varsho? feel like he is still killing it in AAA. Diamondback should focus on developing, and his stat cast numbers are not that bad. This D-backs team is just awful, and I didn't <laughs> think they were going to be this bad. And we just saw Cattell Marte leave a game on Saturday yep. night against the Padres in the first inning with what appeared to be another leg injury. Even if he's just day-to-day, you have to think Varsho is going to get an opportunity to come up at some point in the second half. So do you see Varsho as being good enough, especially in a two-catcher league, to hold on on your bench right now, knowing how precious bench spots are? I think probably yes. This is, um, you know, it's a it's a hard question to answer in a vacuum because certain people are going to have more flexibility than others to hold on to Varsho. I think if you're asking yourself the question, though, you probably can afford it. You can at least afford it to see what they do uh, with Cattell Marte and see what the situation is there. I agree with Jim that they have to bring him up sooner rather than later. It just has to happen. And so with the sort of player he can be once he does get up, I definitely want to give this another week or two to see where things go with this Arizona team. We're going to see him in the majors sooner rather than later, I got to believe. Yeah, I think once he's back up, we're going to see him play more than he was playing earlier this year, more than he played last year too. And that might be playing somewhere else, center field, a corner outfield spot. It just, it makes sense to prioritize his playing time. It looks like he's Mm -hmm. handling AAA very capably. The numbers at AAA look just like they did at high A and double A. He continues to progress like an impact big league hitter, especially with that catcher eligibility. Uh, I think it's just finding that balance that they want to have, making sure his development as a catcher continues the way it needs to, but also balancing out playing time between Varsho and Carson Kelly. So good question, Jim. I think he is stashable uh, in 15-team mixed leagues. Anything with two catchers, really, as long as Mm -hmm, you don't have injury problems or anything else forcing you to gobble up those valuable bench spots. Let's get to some pitchers. Uh, Luis Patino, I think, is interesting because we don't know when exactly he's coming back up to join the Rays, but he is pitching really well at AAA. Season-high 11 strikeouts on Friday night in his most recent outing. He's pitched at least five innings in three consecutive starts. And because he missed some time with a finger injury earlier this year, 
the workload concerns as we look ahead to the second half are beginning to fade. It looks like he could work yeah. five innings every fifth day the rest of the season and not go so far over his previous career high where the Rays would be worried about it. So is it worth preemptively picking up Patino now, knowing that if we get word that he's coming up, he's going to cost a lot more later? I think it is. I definitely think it is. And we're getting word he's coming up sometime, right? Like maybe it's two weeks from now. Maybe it's a little longer than that. I don't think it will be, but we know that word is coming. And so if you want him, we talked, you just talked about it seven minutes ago about how this is a great way to save some of your fab dollars is to be a week early, be two weeks early. And for a guy like Patino with that raise offense at his back, with that raise bullpen behind him, with the, that win upside he's going to bring, the strikeout upside he's going to bring, 21 years old, just the sort of player that he can be right now, I think it all lines up for this to be someone who you do want to be a week early on. So I'm absolutely feeling this one. I looked in my leagues. He's uh, been stashed in my leagues, which I'm uh, a little bit disappointed about. But for those of you where he isn't stashed, I think this is definitely a very good guy to go after, a true impact pitcher potentially for the remainder of the season once he does get the call. Yeah, and there's a couple leagues where I'm chasing quality innings in a big way. So I've already made that move in a couple places, just trying mm-hmm. to help myself out because finding guys that could maybe give you a, a mid three ZRA and a better than average whip with a lot of K's is actually pretty difficult. We obviously yes. love the the team context for the race too, pitching in the trap, having that bullpen protecting leads and having maybe an improving offense also providing that run support. Tina really ticking all the boxes for a big second half. Uh, Last week, we discussed Matt Manning a little bit, and he made his second big league start this week against the Cardinals, picked up his first big league win, so congrats to him. Uh, He's got 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 Cleveland on the road on the schedule for this week. I don't like Matt Manning enough long-term to go overboard. I think he's basically a streamer at this point, and my main reason for that is when you look at the pitch usage in these first two starts, he's really like abandoned his curveball and that's supposed to be his best secondary pitch. I don't understand the game plan why they're doing that. We've only seen 4Ks so far, I think in his first like 10 innings. I'm tempted to say that I just don't want anything to do with him, but I do think Cleveland's offense is bad enough where if you're in a deeper mix league and Manning is still out there, mm-hmm. you could put him in our group of streamers for this week. I'm totally with you there. Maybe it's like a maybe it's a hey, you're young, you're making your debut. Let's let's like lock down your fastball command, and then we'll start working on mixing in the secondaries to a level that you're going to eventually need to have them mixed in if you're going to be a long term successful pitcher. Think you nailed it though. I, I do think that with the way the Cleveland offense is uh, has been for the majority of the season, this is definitely a team you can stream against. Maybe they get Fran Mill Reyes back before Manning takes them out against them. That's not going to change things hugely. And I'm saying that as like the president of the Fran Mill Reyes fan club. Love the power, but you know, it's not like this gonna you go from wanting to stream against them to wanting to stay away from them if Fran Mill's back in the lineup for them and he might not even be back in the lineup when Manning takes the ball. So definitely a streamer, but not a long term solution for this season. Yeah, definitely playing it careful with Matt Manning at this point. Uh, lots of two start pitchers, probably a better than average group of two start pitchers. Caleb Smith leading the way here at St. Louis, home against the Giants. And I know the Giants are not that pushover matchup we thought they could be coming into the season. They're actually a tough one, but the Cardinals have been more of that pushover yes. matchup. And I think the combined the combined strength of these two opponents is low enough where I think in at least a 15-team league, I'm in on Smith because the problem with Smith is usually just health. Like from a innings quality and strikeout rate yeah. standpoint, he's 
generally good enough to be useful in mixed leagues as long as he's healthy. I'm totally with you, and I, and I really want my uh, my uh, nickname for him of the Postmaster General to hang on. Uh, Abraham Lincoln's Postmaster General was a guy named Caleb Smith, so I would love for that to <laughs> stick for this version of Caleb Smith, you know, 160 years later, whatever the case may be. But the real important thing here is that you are right in terms of health being the issue for him. And as long as he can stay healthy, he's going to miss bats, he's going to strike guys out, and this St. Louis lineup is really one that you can attack. You can probably feel the schadenfreude if you're watching us. You've got a Cubs fan and a Brewers fan talking about this, so not sad to say that the Cardinals lineup is one that you can definitely take advantage of. And I think Caleb Smith, with the way he's pitched, with the way that uh, he can get those strikeouts racked up, this is a this is a nice one. I'm very happy to take that San Francisco matchup, knowing that I also get the St. Louis one. Yeah, I, I think Smith is uh, the postmaster general. I, I don't know if that's going <laughs> to stick, but I will say, I'll put this on the record, if it wasn't obvious, but that, uh, that nickname suggestion from Beller, if you're ever <laughs> building a trivia team and you want someone who knows 19th century history uh, better than anybody I know, he's the guy. You don't want me on your team. You want Beller in that case for sure. I think that, that kind of solidifies it. Uh, let's go to Garrett Richards here for a moment. I don't think he was anyone's postmaster general at any point so in, in the past, uh, <laughs> but I can't say for certain. How much of the appeal of Garrett Richards is just the pitcher he used to be? Because I think we're starting to see yeah. he's not that same guy anymore. Like These matchups aren't bad at all. Home against the Royals is good. At Oakland doesn't scare me. I know there's some people that don't like mm-hmm. messing with the A's, but it's a pitcher-friendly environment. So mm-hmm. even though I don't expect him to be vintage Garrett Richards, even though he is seemingly struggling to adjust to the enforcement of the sticky substance rules, I think I actually like Richards as a cheap two-start option for this week just because of these matchups, even with his flaws. Yeah. It's, totally, it's a volume play. It's a good volume play. That's really where we're at with Garrett Richards. Uh, when he gets lined up with two starts like this, then he is interesting. In almost any other circumstance, I don't think he's interesting. It is the appeal of the guy that he used to be with the Angels and the guy who we thought he was going to be before health really interceded in what was uh, becoming a very promising career. Uh, This is a volume play and a good volume play. Happy to make it, so I do think he can be someone who you're going after if you need some quality innings this week. Speaking of quality innings, we might have an option from the Reds, Wade Miley. Mm -hmm. He's better than people realize. I say that almost every time he comes up. Both starts are at home. It's Phillies and Cubs, so it's not cakewalk matchups at all, but I think he's good enough to use it with two home starts because he rarely puts himself in trouble. Like Miley's mm-hmm. just one of those effective innings eaters that can get deep into games and set himself up for a couple of wins. I mean, you could come away with two wins and maybe 10 strikeouts over these two starts. If the yeah. ratios aren't bad, you're pretty happy with that. Yeah, Richards' matchups are better. Miley's the better pitcher, and so that's always an interesting uh, battle to look at. I, I Nine times out of ten, I'm going to go with the guy who I think is the better pitcher, and I think that uh, that will be the case for me here, too. I would rather have Miley. If I can only have one of them, I'll take Miley with the slightly worse matchups against the Phillies and the Cubs because he's just, uh, just a better pitcher, flat out, than Richards. So uh, both guys are attractive, but you're right. Miley is a little bit better than he gets credit for, and probably because he's been a better pitcher in the second half of his career than he was in the first half of his career. We thought we had a handle on the sort of pitcher he was, and he reinvented himself a little bit. So I do like this. I think this is a very nice two-step for Wade Miley. I don't know off the top of my head what his starts, uh, what his matchups are the week after this, but definitely the sort of guy 
who could stick around beyond just these matchups against the Phillies and the Cubs? I think he's more widely rostered in 15s because the volume mm-hmm. plays a little better in that format, but I think he's out there in a good number of 12s. And I would agree with you. I would take Miley over Richards in situations where both are available. I do like Caleb Smith a tick more than both because I think there's a little more ceiling in any given start. Yeah. I think he sort of yes. combines the two. Like he, mm-hmm. Maybe we haven't seen the absolute best of Caleb Smith yet, the way we have from, from Garrett Richards and you know, maybe he can match Miley just in terms of, of volume and consistency in these next few weeks. Um, let's talk about Michael King for a second. Matchups aren't terrible. Home against the Angels, home against the Mets lineup that is getting healthier. Michael mm-hmm. King has taken a little step forward from where he was at last year. The ratios aren't too bad to this point. I think he's still more of a 15-team guy, whereas all these other guys we've talked about so far, I would at least consider in a 12 um, five pitches with command. It's hard to find guys with arsenals that yeah. deep who actually locate pretty well. So do you think Michael King is maybe just a little overshadowed because he's a Yankee and he's just not one of those those big names and he wasn't a highly regarded prospect either? Yeah, it's an easy guy to dismiss. And especially when you come in as a non-highly regarded prospect. And I mean, we've been now sitting for like two decades where it's just like the AL East. It's an impossible place to pitch. You've got the Yankees. You've got the Red Sox. You've got a pesky Rays team. Now we have this Blue Jays offense. And it's easy to write those guys off. So I think the thing that I find most interesting about King is the fact that he's got the five pitches with command. It's just something that you don't see a ton of. And it makes you feel as though he can be a useful guy beyond this because he has the confidence to throw those pitches and if something's not working he has other things he can go to he's not totally dead in the water if his best secondary isn't working for him in a given night because he has other things that he can lean on and you like to see a guy like that taking some obvious steps forward in the way that King has as you referenced so definitely part of this discussion like Miley better, like Smith better. I could see going for King before going for Richards because of just the way that they seem to be, you know, ships passing one another where King is ascending and Richards is descending a little bit. I do worry about the fact that that Mets lineup is getting healthier. They got Michael Conforto back. They've got Jeff McNeil back. We know Brandon Nimmo is coming back this week, so they'll have him back at the top of the order, that on-base machine. But I still think King is someone who you can be thinking about in 15-teamers. Yeah, and I think one thing I would point out, if you think about King versus Richards, Richards is home against the Phillies next week for his only start. So mm-hmm. it's not like you're going to feel good about that outing. You're not going to use King for his start after the two-start week either. He's got the Astros, and uh, yeah, we're not messing away. with the Astros with, <laughs> no. with guys that are on the wire right now for the most part. Uh, but I do think he was worth a mention because he has exceeded mm-hmm. my expectations to this point. And so is this guy, Chris Flexen. <laughs> He's got the Jays on the road, but then he's got the Rangers at home. And that second one is so tempting that it's try <laughs> it's like trying to push me into a bad decision for yeah. the first start. The optimal solution, of course, if you play in a league where you can split it and just only use him for the start home against mm-hmm. Texas. Great. Stream him there and keep him way far away from your active lineup against the Jays. But in weekly leagues, do you see enough inflexing where you actually want to take the chance on that tough matchup to get the easy one? I don't. I just don't want to mess with that. Excuse me, with that Toronto team. George Springer's back. I mean, we are now seeing the fully formed Blue Jays and Vlad's hitting everything. And Marcus Semyon's been the best free agent signing of this entire offseason. Like, I just don't want to mess with the Blue Jays. So as good as that Texas matchup has been, as better as Flexen has been compared with our expectations for him, I just can't mess with that Blue Jays matchup. So I'm taking a pass here if I have to play him in both. 
All right, well, I'm glad that it wasn't just me having some sort of weird anti-Chris <laughs> Flexen approach to looking at that and just going, I just don't trust it quite enough. Mm-hmm. I, I feel bad missing out on an opportunity to use any pitcher against the Rangers, but um, can't take on that start against the Jays just to get there. It's a little, just a little too much to actually pull that off. All right, Bellary, move on to a few streaming options. We begin with a couple of brewers. The first is Adrian Hauser. Brewers have a road trip to Pittsburgh coming up, and mm-hmm. I think that is a, about as soft of a matchup as you can have other than catching the Rockies at home, which the Brewers just did this weekend. Uh, so what's your interest level in Hauser, and does he jump ahead of some of the two-start options that we just talked about given that landing spot? I, I think he would. You know, he would jump ahead of Flexen for me. Like, I'm not even thinking about Flexen, and I would think about Adrian Hauser. And I'll just, I'll just mention the next guy, too, Eric Lauer. I think that, you know, both of those guys can be part of this discussion here where we're talking about them over two-star pitchers. I could see going over Flexen. I could see going over Richards because of these great matchups with the Pirates that these guys are going to get here. This is a team that we can take advantage of every single time with almost Every single pitcher who takes the mound against them. And Hauser, Lauer, they both have shown us enough here to be pretty confident that they can take care of business against the Pirates. And I think with Hauser, even though he hasn't really taken big steps forward in his development, I still have that little glimmer of hope that the Brewers can get more out of him than other teams would because this mm-hmm. is an organization that I don't think it often gets mentioned in the same breath as you know Cleveland or Los Angeles, like the Dodgers and what they've done with pitching in recent years. Yep. But they've had a lot of success. I mean, Brendan Woodruff becoming a top five starting mm-hmm. pitcher or top 10 starting pitcher with ease. Corbin Burns being in that same conversation and Freddie Peralta really giving them yes. possibly three aces so far this season gives me a little more confidence in guys like Hauser, than I would have ordinarily. I think with Hauser, we're talking about a guy who's 28 now. You know, we've seen over 250 big league innings. There's probably not another massive leap there, mm-hmm. but I think he's at least good enough to do well in these softer landing spots. You know, with Lauer, I kind of wonder if there's more long-term appeal with him, just because he's got a little bit less, little bit less big league experience, I believe, and. Mm-hmm. There's a little more pedigree there, too. So you're talking about a guy who's two years younger, former first-round pick. The Brewers obviously sought him out as part of the return in the trade that brought Luis Arias to Milwaukee, sent Trent Grisham to San Diego. Mm -hmm. But the results to this point in Lauer's big league career, he's actually thrown more innings than Hauser, have been worse. So if you're looking at those two straight up, is it Hauser over Lauer or Lauer over Hauser for you? I, I guess I'm going Hauser over Lauer, but pretty easy to get on board with either of them. It's really six of one and half dozen of the other. And I guess we should say you and I are recording this, uh, what, about three hours before Lauer's going to take the ball against Colorado. So also just be sure that he doesn't like get injured in that start <laughs> and then put in the claim on him. Uh, but uh, we'll see what he does against the Rockies later today. Yeah, hopefully a gem in that spot because mm-hmm. that Rockies offense I'm streaming is brutal. Him. I'm streaming him in a daily league. Picked him up this morning. Let's do it, Eric. I love when you have to root for the Brewers. <laughs> Brings me joy. Cal uh, Quantrill didn't look good against the Twins in his last outing this week, but he draws the Tigers and he draws them at home. ERA still under four for the season. I'd liked Quantrill, by the way, as a streamer, even against the Twins. I thought that could be a spot in deeper leagues where he'd hold his own. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I was wrong about that. My apologies. But mm-hmm. uh, I do think you want to go back to the well here. I'd put Quantrill right in the same part of the conversation with Hauser and Lauer. You know, if you're looking at those guys as low-end, like 1%, 2% bids for your streaming options, Quantrill's right there behind him. Maybe a min-bid sort of guy, but definitely someone I like. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. He comes after uh, Hauser and Lauer, and probably a little bit less. Not just a ranking preference, but also a tiny bit less, where I'd be willing to go you know, maybe a little bit above Minbid to get those Brewers. It's a Minbid for Quantrill, but definitely someone who, if I miss out on, on the Brewers, I'm happy to have Quantrill as a streamer for this week. I'm going to ask you about one of Al's favorite pitchers, which is not oh, fair. God. That's not fair to our friend Al Melchior. He <laughs> asked me about Martin Perez a lot when he was pitching well earlier this season. And I think there were at least three episodes where I hosted with him, and it was a Perez streaming day. And he said, how about streaming Martin Perez? And I said, how about no? And <laughs> yeah. it was because I just didn't see anything different about him, right? The results uh-huh. were good, but the underlying mm-hmm. numbers hadn't changed. So now I'm going to put it on you. Home against the Royals, Martin Perez. Any interest in streaming him? It's a, it's a not a bad spot with this uh, Royals team, uh, with the way that they just aren't going to intimidate anyone offensively and win upside, yada, yada, yada. But I, I just, uh, I mean, I, I want a little more. I want a little more out of my pitcher than what Martin Perez is offering me uh, in and why I like him and why we would be talking about him and why he's part of this discussion. It's because it's matchup. And because maybe he's going to get a win because Boston is going to be heavy favorites in this game against Kansas City. I want to see a little more from him. I got to say, though, I probably like him better than Quantrill. He's probably my next guy up behind the Brewers for this week. Well, he's also Forrest's favorite pitcher. What a Forrest. <laughs> Thanks for there you go. dropping in on this Sunday morning. So <laughs> I I don't want Perez even in this matchup. Sorry, can't do it. We've hit the point <laughs> of the list where I don't know if I really want to mess with any of these guys. We'll go yeah, to one of yours. I don't want to mess with any of the I don't want to mess with any of the rest of them. You don't want Jake Arietta <laughs> going up against the oh. Brewers at American Family Field. Oh, geez, I he, almost threw up <laughs> my mouth a little saying that. Miller Park. He is a he is a bottom five pitcher in Major League Baseball, I feel like. I mean, he's just all over the place. He can't stay in the strike zone. He gets knocked around when he is in the strike zone. Like this is this is ugly. This is ugly, and it's 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 like hilarious that the Cubs are going to be probably like trying to trade for John Lester when they like made the active <laughs> choice of signing Arietta over keeping Lester, and now they're going to be out there trading for John Lester in a couple of weeks because they're desperate for a starting pitcher. Yeah, no no way do I want Jake Arietta in this matchup. I think we were talking about this on Rates and Barrels. I know you and I were talking trades a little bit at the end of the show on Thursday, but mm. Tyler Anderson in Pittsburgh is one of those guys that if you're looking at John Lester, you should actually be looking yeah. at Tyler Anderson because I think Tyler Anderson's better. If you had to win one game right now with those guys in their respective arsenals, yes, Anderson over Lester is the way I would go. Uh, but hopefully the Cubs bring Lester back. I, I'd love to see that. <laughs> another story that would just warm my heart. Uh, Jay Happ has been awful this year, too. Kind of in that Arietta yes. bin, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Same matchup as Martin Perez, though he goes on the road to Kansas City to face the Royals. I don't think I could trust Happ in this spot. Mm-hmm. If I had to choose between Happ and Arietta, I think I would choose Happ because it's a more pitcher-friendly environment overall. Yep. But, yeah, not feeling good about that. Not something I want to do. It'd be... The scenarios in which I would throw pitchers this bad are ones where I'm near the bottom or at the mm-hmm. bottom in ERA and whip. If my ratios yep. don't matter anymore and mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get lucky and have bad pitchers throw five innings of one run ball or something close to that and get me some strikeouts and wins, that's why we're talking about these guys. If right. you're at all caring about your ratios at this point, they're really not viable. Absolutely 100% agree with you here. There's really not much more to say beyond that. Did I place Kyle Muller in the right section of today's show? He's getting one more turn for the Braves. It's going to be a home start against the Marlins. I didn't see anything in the underlying numbers that 
made me really excited. Like the AAA numbers had a lot of strikeouts, but mm-hmm. he's kind of like a like a second or third tier prospect in that organization. And yeah. even even though it's a good matchup, this is one of those times where we're probably pushing skills that are too light out there, hoping mm-hmm. to get lucky. So I think you want to be careful yeah. with Muller. Maybe an NL only sort of guy if you just need mm-hmm. four or five innings. That's about I, it. I, I'll also say that in fantasy sports, sometimes it's you you want the devil you don't know and not the devil you do. Like we know what Arietta's gonna do. We know what J Hap's gonna do. It's probably not gonna be pretty. At least we can delude ourselves into thinking Muller's gonna be better than them because we just don't know him as well. So you can at least have that feeling going into the start. But again, if that's the basis. You see why we're grasping at straws here. This is another guy who, if my ratios don't matter, sure. If my ratios do matter, I'm taking a pass. When you collected baseball cards as a kid, did you ever have a card shop nearby that actually had like the grab bag, the mystery bag, or the mystery box where it was an assortment yes. of already open things and some bad packs and stuff? Did you Absolutely. ever get those? AU, AU Sports, Dempster Street, Skokie, Illinois. What's up? Let's do it. <laughs> is that still there? Still open? <laughs> They they are still open. They moved. They're not in the location they were when I was a kid, but they are still open. They're thriving. I'd love to know if any baseball card shop ever built legitimately good grab bags because I, I felt <laughs> like as a kid, I didn't know better. When I was 8, 9, 10 years old, I thought the mm-hmm. grab bag was the best value play. And I think we're talking <laughs> about pitchers that are basically, at uh-huh. this stage, a grab bag, right? Like Kyle Muller, he's probably just as bad as Arietta and Hat, but... There's that little chance there's something good in there, and I feel like that's that's what it brought me back to. Yeah. Uh, let's get to a few relievers. The Phillies made a change in the ninth inning. Hector Neris out, Jose Alvarado in. I've always liked Alvarado in terms of stuff. I mean, you yeah. can run it up to the high 90s from the left side. That plays. Uh, what's mm-hmm. your interest level in Alvarado? How aggressive are you bidding on him in leagues where he's available and you're looking for some saves? Pretty aggressively. The, the problem is, like, doesn't it? It always feels like something isn't quite there. Like we've now been, we've now years and multiple teams where Alvarado feels like like he should be a little bit better. Like the results should just be a little bit better. And he goes on these runs. He was on one uh, at the start of this season with Philly where he just, he, he couldn't be touched. It was ridiculous. And there was talk about him mixing into the closers role then. And then he got a little bit banged up and then he was like genuinely bad. For a while, and so that has me uh, having a little bit of hesitancy in terms of you know going all in and being for sure this is going to be Philly's closer for the rest of the season. But a very talented reliever, the stuff is great when he is on. He is very on, and he's at least getting saves in the near term. And we know how valuable that can be. So I feel pretty comfortable making him my preferred reliever of the guys who we're going to talk about here to wind up the show. And I think it's weird because. His walk rate's been awful going back to 2019 now. At least six walks mm-hmm. per nine each of the last three seasons. I realize he threw nine innings last year. There's only 28 innings so far this year, 30 innings back in 2019, his last uh, last full-ish season with the Rays. Mm-hmm. A lot of injuries have slowed him down. Yep. The bat's projection for his walk rate is four and a half per nine. And people say, oh, it's not that good. But that's a level that <laughs> can be acceptable in a closer that can miss a lot of bats. So... He can be one of those third-tier closers that you pick up relatively cheaply, goes on a stretch where he just gets really hot, isn't walking guys, misses a good number mm-hmm. of bats, and rolls up a dozen saves. like that. Yeah. That's not that far-fetched for Alvarado, even though there are some pretty gross underlying numbers. I mean, the, the home run rate that he had in the shortened season, 
clear outlier. This is a guy that doesn't usually have a home run problem. It's either free passes or he's dealing. And I'm actually yeah. in probably around 4 to 5%. I don't know if you have to go a lot more aggressive than that. Maybe in the high stakes arena, it's going to take a bit more. Uh, but I think they maybe want to settle on one closer in Philly. And in a lot of other places, that's not necessarily the case. We're seeing that in Cincinnati right now. You know, Amir Garrett had a save on Saturday. It was Brad Brock who got one on Thursday. And the news here, one fewer arm in the mix right now with TJ Antone going back to the IL with a forearm strain. Unfortunately, that looks like it's going to be maybe a situation that leads to surgery since it's a second stint on the IL with that injury. Uh, Garrett might still be out there in some leagues. He's been on and off rosters a bit in recent weeks. Brock is probably available everywhere. I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. even know how many people out there knew he was in that Cincinnati bullpen outside of Reds (laughs) fans. Uh, So what's your interest level in Garrett and Brock compared to Alvarado? Uh, less than Alvarado for sure. And, uh, you know, to me, Brock is really just a contingency bid. I'm going for Alvarado first, Garrett second, and then I'll throw a min bid in on Brock if I miss out on those guys. I think Garrett's got a chance here. Let's, you know, rewind to March when everyone was super excited about Amir Garrett. And, oh my God, he's struck out all 15 batters he's faced in spring training. This dude's about to take off. See you, Rysel Iglesias. Who needs you? And obviously things didn't go that way, but Antone... As you said, this sounds like it maybe is a season ender. Lucas Sims is on the IL right now. Amir Garrett, I think, has a real chance to take that closer's job back for the rest of the season that he had at the start of the season. So I'm actually pretty interested in him. Still a little less than Alvarado, but I would be very happy if I ended up with Amir Garrett as my one reliever by this weekend. Yeah, maybe 2 to 3% on Garrett mm-hmm. as your first backup behind Alvarado where available. Brock, I think, is more of a, a near-min-bid sort of guy because I think he profiles as more of a... A partial closer. If we're looking at bullpen shares, and we say he's got a 20% share of the save opportunities in Cincinnati for right now, that's a pretty small opportunity. You don't want to overpay to get that. The longer-term track record in recent years with mm-hmm. skills are a little bit shaky for Brock as well. Uh, one other name that caught my eye just looking through some notes is J.B. Bacoskis. He is rehabbing at AAA Reno. Yes, the Diamondbacks are bad, as we said earlier when we were talking about Dalton Varsho, but that's a team that's going to have an eye toward the future in the second half. He's one of those guys that should be a high-leverage reliever in Arizona for a long time. I think there's a clear path for him to emerge as the closer in the second half. I think the problem I have is that it pretty much has to be an NL-only league right now or some kind of keeper deep dynasty league if you're going to pick him up before he comes back. I just want to put him out there Mm -hmm. because in some leagues, saves are impossible to get. And he's someone who skills-wise I actually believe in as becoming a very good closer in short order. Yeah, I'm totally with you here. And I think uh, even though the results this season haven't been good for Joakim Soria, he's a guy who has a name brand, a guy who has pitched in a lot of playoff chases over his career. So I wouldn't be surprised if someone, you know, uh, this season results regardless took a shot on him in the trade market. It probably wouldn't take much to get him away from Arizona. And that just opens the door even further to Bukowskis being this team's closer in the second half of the season. So I think a good call here to include him. Yep, just a a long, long long-term play, but one that could start to pay off here in the second half of the season. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you should get one. Three ninety nine a month mm-hmm. gets you in the door at theathletic.com slash podcast. We've got the waiver article that Scott Engel writes each and every week that complements this podcast very well. Uh, I write about prospects sometimes. i got a new piece that went up 
late yesterday, so you could check that out as well. Plus, you get Eno's updated pitching rankings and everything else we do. We got NBA playoff coverage, NHL playoff coverage, great baseball coverage, of course, and football season is just around the corner. So $3.99 a month gets you the door at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. On Twitter, he is at M Beller. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are back with you Tuesday with Under the Radar. Thank you.